Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's reading comes from Rubber Hand Stamps by T. O'Connor Sloan. Published in 1891, this story explores the early stages of the rubber industry and the different countries that influenced it. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. The podcast is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Thank you to everyone who shared their words of gratitude with me during the week. All Spotify listeners, thank you for continuing to respond to the Q&A and for letting me know your thought about the episode of the podcast that you had just listened to. As always, thank you to all existing patrons and sponsors and everyone else who took time to send or leave a message for me during the week. My goal is to keep this podcast free to allow access for everybody and it's the support from listeners via Patreon and Spotify that allows me to keep bringing episodes out for those who need them. If you would like to become a patron or sponsor, please visit boytosleep.com. Whether it's $1 or $5, your monthly contribution is a great help in allowing me to bring out more episodes for those who need them. Another amazing way to help the podcast is to leave a review or comment in your podcast app Even one sentence really helps out. If you would like, you can always say hello to me at boytosleep.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at boytosleep. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. Rubber Hand Stamp Making and the Manipulation of Rubber Chapter 1. The Sources of India Rubber and Its History India Rubber, or Kachuk, is a very peculiar product, which is found in and extracted from the juice of certain trees and shrubs. When an India rubber tree is tapped, which is affected by making incisions in the bark, the sap of the tree exudes. It is a milky substance and is collected in various ways. It may be in vessels of clay, in shells, or in other receptacles by the India rubber hunters. If this substance is examined, it is found to be of very remarkable and characteristic constitution, resembling in its physical features ordinary milk. It is composed of from 50 to 90 percent 
of water in which is suspended in microscopic globules like the cream and milk, the desired kachuk or India rubber. If the juice is left to stand in vessels like milk in a creamery, the globules rise to the surface and a cream of India rubber can be skimmed off from the surface. If the juice is evaporated over a fire, the water escapes and the India rubber remains. By dipping an article repeatedly in the juice and drying it, a thick or thin coating of India rubber can be developed. Before the modern methods for the manipulation of the gum had been developed, and before the invention of vulcanization, this method was adopted for the manufacture of shoes. The original India rubbers for protection of the feet in wet weather were made in this manner. A clay last was used upon which the India rubber was deposited as described. The clay last was then broken and removed. Great quantities of overshoes were thus made in South America and many were exported to Europe. When Kachuk has once been removed from this watery emulsion, which for all practical purposes is a solution, it cannot be restored to the former state of liquidity. It remains solid. It will absorb a considerable quantity of water, but will not enter again into the quasi-solution or combination. This property of permanent coagulation, which interferes to a degree with its easy manipulation, was early discovered. In the last century, quantities of the natural milk were exported to Europe to be used in what may be termed the natural process of manufacture. Because once solidified, it could not be redissolved and because the manufacturers of those days had not the present methods of dealing with the apparently intractable gum. The natives of South America, before the advent of Europeans, were familiar with the treatment of the juice by evaporation, just described and used to make bottles, shoes and syringes of it for their own use. The name Siphonia applied to several species of rubber tree and Syringa and Seringari. In Spanish, recall the old Italian syringes and tubes. The gum is now collected for export in many parts of the world. South and Central America are, as they have always been, the greatest producers. Some is collected in Africa, Java, and India. The best comes from Para. However, carefully treated, a great difference is found in the product from different countries. The Brazilian India rubber, known as Para, from the port of shipment, ranks as the best in the market. Its history, as far as recorded, 
does not go back of the last century. La Condamine, who explored the Amazon River, sent from South America in 1736 the Institut de France in Paris, the first sample of India rubber ever seen in Europe. He accompanied the sample with a communication. He said that the Indians of that country used the gum in several domestic objects of utility, such as vessels, bottles, boots, waterproof clothing, etc. He stated that it was attacked and to a certain extent dissolved by warm nut oil. In 1751 and 1768, other samples were received through M.M. Fresnel and Mercure, who sent them to the Academy of Sciences, Paris, from Cayenne in Guinea. Although from this period numerous experiments were tried with the new substance, little of importance was done with it for many years. Its first use was to rub out pencil marks, whence it derived its name of India rubber. As late as 1820, this continued to be its principal use. As interesting reminiscence of its early history is given by Joseph Priestley, the great English chemist of the last century, celebrated as the discoverer of oxygen. In 1770, he mentioned the use of the gum for erasing pencil marks and speaks of its cost being three shillings, about 70 cents, for a cubical piece of about half an inch. As we have seen, its solubility was early studied. In 1761, Harrison added turpentine, ether, and huile de dipple to the list of solvents. In 1793, its solubility was utilized in France by Besson, who made waterproof cloth. In 1797, Johnson introduced for the same manufacture a solution in mixed turpentine and alcohol. The year 1820 is the beginning of the period of its modern use on a more extended scale. Nadir developed the methods of cutting it into sheets and threads and of weaving the latter. Macintosh in 1823 began the manufacture of waterproof cloth using the solution of the gum in coal tar naphtha, which was caused to deposit by evaporation a layer of the gum upon a piece of cloth, which was covered by a second one. This protected the wearer from the gummy and sticky coating of raw India rubber. At the best, the original Macintoshes must have been very disagreeable articles for wear. In 1825, India rubber shoes of raw India rubber were imported from South America and formed for a while an important article of commerce. In 1839, Charles Goodyear of Massachusetts invented the art of vulcanizing 
or combining India rubber with sulfur. It was patented on June 15, 1844, and covers only the manufacture of soft rubber. Vulcanite or hard rubber, whalebone rubber, is disputed as to its origin, its invention being assigned to some Nelson Goodyear and by others to Austin G. Day of Connecticut. Goodyear, however, succeeded in obtaining a patent on May 6, 1851. Day obtained a patent on August 10, 1858. Vulcanization is the most important invention ever made in connection with India rubber, and may fairly rank as one of the greatest discoveries of the present century. It is claimed by the English, an inventor named Hancock being cited as the rival of Charles Goodyear. The latter inventor had an associate, Nathaniel Hayward, who is probably entitled to some of the credit. By vulcanization, India rubber loses susceptibility to heat and cold, becomes non-adherent and insoluble in almost all substances. It is converted from a comparatively useless substance into one of wide applicability. The subject of India rubber is so interesting in its theoretical as well as practical bearings that it seems impossible that those who are workers in it should not feel an interest in its natural history. For such readers, the chapter on the natural history and collection of India rubber has been written. As it is a product of widely separated lands on both hemispheres, and as it is yielded by an immense number of plants, it is impossible in the limits of a chapter to give a full outline of its natural history. The chapter in question is therefore with this apology inserted where it belongs, near the beginning of the book. Those who are entirely practical may pass it over. There is no doubt that the few minutes necessary for its perusal will be bestowed upon it by some. African India rubber is mostly exported from the West Coast. The belt of country producing it extends nearly across the continents. Those who are familiar with the India rubber plants of our conservatories are apt to think of the gum as the product of trees, but in Africa it is largely yielded by climbing plants of very numerous varieties, belonging generally to the Landolphia species. From Assam Java, Penang, and Rangoon. There is considerable gum exported. It is supposed to be the product of trees of the ficus species. In all these places, as it is known to be in Java and Assam, in the latter place, rigid restrictions are imposed as far as possible upon the gathering. In the case of wild trees scattered through the forest, the carrying out of these restrictions is not practicable. 
The trees are cut with knives in long incisions through the bark, and the juice is collected in holes dug in the ground, or often in leaves wrapped up in a conical form, somewhat as gross as form their wrapping paper into cornucopia shape for holding sugar, etc. It has seemed reasonably certain that the India rubber producing plants might be cultivated with profit, and it is as certainly to be feared that without such cultivation they will become extinct. Efforts have been made in the direction of raising them artificially, but without much success. In Assam, numerous experiments have been made to propagate the India rubber bearing ficus tree. A good instance of the ill effects of carelessness in the original gathering of the crop is afforded by these Bornese collectors. The source of Borneo India rubber is a variety of creepers. These are cut down and divided into short sections from a few inches to a yard in length. The sap oozes out from the ends. To accelerate its escape, the pieces are sometimes heated at one end. It is coagulated by salt water, sometimes a salt called Nipa salt, obtained by burning a certain plant, is used for the purpose. In either case, it is coagulated into rough balls and masses. These masses are heavily charged with the salt water, often containing as much as 50%, and rarely much less than 20%. Central America and Panama are great producers of this gum, In Panama, the custom of felling the trees is often adopted. In this case, grooves are cut around the prostrate trunk, and under each groove, as the trunk lies on the ground, a vessel is placed to collect the sap. Its coagulation is often affected by leaving it for a couple of weeks, standing at rest in a hole excavated on the surface of the ground, and covered over with leaves. The kachuk separates under these conditions. A quicker method, but one yielding an inferior product, is obtained by adding to the fresh juice some bruised leaves of a plant, which acts something like acid upon milk. In separating the desired solid manner, or kachuk, A jelly-like accretion saturated with blackish water is thus obtained. By working it together, a blackish liquid is caused to escape, and comparatively pure gum is gradually obtained. As much as 100 pounds of India rubber may be obtained from a single tree where this destructive system is employed. Further north, where a better council has prevailed, the trees are only tapped, and the India rubber hunter is satisfied if, from a tree 18 inches in diameter, he obtains 20 gallons of sap, giving 50 pounds of gum. Even where tapping is done, 
The tree is often destroyed by carelessness or ignorance. Two systems are followed in Nicaragua. The operator ascends by a ladder, if he has one, or in any case climbs as high as well can, and begins to make a long incision. Sometimes he carries one long straight cut clear down to the ground. This is made the starting point for a number of side cuts, short and running diagonally into it. This is also one of the Brazilian methods. The Nicaraguan sometimes also makes two spiral incisions, one right-handed and the other left-handed, crossing each other as they descend so as to divide the surface of the tree into roughly outlined diamonds. In either case, the juice flows down to an iron spout placed at the bottom of the tree, which spout leads to an iron pail. The milk is gathered and passed through a sieve and coagulated in barrels by the Iponia plant, as before mentioned. This gives three grades of rubber, the bulk is obtained from the barrels and is often called the miros. The small lump which forms in the spout is rolled into a bowl called cabeza. The dried strips pulled out of the cuts is of very good quality and is called bola or barucha. From Brazil is exported the famous para India rubber. This is of very high quality and is greatly esteemed by all manufacturers. No process can make a poor gum give a really good product. The system of gathering, it varies. Sometimes the tree is cut into by gashes from an axe, such gashes extending in a row all around the trunk. Under each gash, a small clay cup is looted fast and some fresh mixed clay these collect from a tablespoonful of juice upward, which is collected and the cups are removed on the same day. The next day, a second row of cuts is made below the others, and the same process is repeated. This is continued until, from a point as high as a man can reach, down to the ground, the tree is full of cuts. Sometimes a gutter of clay is found partly around the trunk, with gashes above it. In other cases, a vine is secured around the tree, and a collecting gutter is worked it for a basis. The juice is coagulated in a smoky fire. A bottomless jar is placed over the fire, and some palm nuts are mixed with the fuel. The mould, which is often a canoe paddle, is smeared with clay to prevent adhesion and is then heated. A cup of juice is poured over it, and after the excess is dropped off, it is moved about rapidly over the smoke, and hot air which ascends from the mouth of the jar. The series of operations is repeated until coating is quite thick, it may be as much as five inches. After solidifying overnight, 
it is cut open and the paddle or mould is removed. After a few days drying, it is sent to market, with all the heating during which it sweats profusely, it still retains 15% of water. India rubber sap may be coagulated by an aqueous solution of alum. The process has been tried in Brazil and is used to a considerable extent in Pernambuco. It was proposed by an investigator named Strauss and the process is still called by his name. One objection is that it gives a very wet product, and apparently one of inferior value to the smoked gum. The feeling that India rubber suffers in the gathering has been so much felt that it has recently suggested that if possible, the uncoagulated juice should be exported to Europe there to be worked up from the beginning. There are two broad divisions to which all varieties of India rubber can be assigned. Unvulcanized and vulcanized rubber. Speaking with a certain amount of license, it may be said that the more properties characterize the former than the latter. The vulcanized article is very slightly affected by ordinary changes of temperature cannot to any considerable extent be changed by heat short of absolute destruction or decomposition, cannot be united or moulded except in simple forms, is highly elastic, and is insoluble in almost every solvent for ordinary kachuk. Unvulcanized kachuk possesses very interesting and peculiar properties The first part of the present chapter is devoted to this substance. Those who have never seen the crude gum as imported are familiar with the article, almost pure in the form of sheet rubber and black rubber articles generally. These are of nearly pure kachuk, though recently the tendency is to vulcanize them to a considerable degree. A piece of pure gum containing no combined sulfur, iodine, or other vulcanizing constituent will be found to exhibit a very striking peculiarity. Two freshly cut surfaces, when placed in contact, will adhere. This is not in consequence of any vicious or sticky coating. When India rubber is cut, The surface is perfectly dry and non-adherent except to itself. The writer once had this property of adhesion brought strongly to his attention. In some analytical investigations of coal gas, he had proposed to use finely divided India rubber as an absorbent of sulfur. This constituent it absorbs from gas and it seemed that a basis for a quantitative determination of sulphur might be found in such property. Accordingly, some raw India rubber was procured and with some trouble was cut up into little pieces which were put into a bottle. A day or two afterwards, the pieces united wherever they were in contact, and an irregular 
cavernous lump was the result. This involved no melting or softening or change of shape. Each little piece was there intact and distinct, but firmly attached to its neighbours. The analogy of this action is seen in lead. Two fresh surfaces brought together, preferably with a twisting or wrenching pressure, adhere quite firmly. The adherence of India rubber and of lead each to itself is often exhibited by physical lecturers as an illustration of cohesion. The cohesion of India rubber is however far more perfect than that of lead, probably because of its comparatively great resistance to oxidization, and because, owing to its elasticity, larger areas can be brought into contact. Comparatively great, though this resistance to oxidization is oxygen, especially in the allotropic modification known as ozone, may act quite powerfully on the gum. Sunlight can affect it injuriously. A more familiar illustration of the uniting of two pieces of the same material is seen in the welding of iron. The blacksmith heats two pieces of iron until they are nearly white hot and are pasty in consistency. On placing them in contact and hammering to force them together, they unite so firmly as to be practically one. It is necessary that the surfaces of clean metal should be brought together. If the pressure induced by the hammering is insufficient to bring this about, a flux is added which dissolves the oxide and causes the metal to come in contact with metal and to weld. The analogy with India rubber in its cohesive action is evident. Surfaces long exposed or which are dusty do not cohere. The relegation of ice is similar in effect. When pure, it is nearly colourless, the dark colour being due to impurities. In thin sheets, it is almost or quite transparent. It burns readily and with a very luminous smoky flame, as might have been anticipated from its composition. The action of heat and cold on it is dependent on the degree of the temperature. At ordinary temperature, it is elastic and firm. It can be stretched and will return almost to its original size when released from tension. Yet the return to its shape is so liable to being complete, especially after long sustained stretching. The pure unvulcanized India rubber is considered imperfectly elastic. Any elasticity it possesses is principally elastically of shape and distinguished from elasticity of volume. In other words, when pressed or stretched, it may change shape to a great extent, but hardly change its volume at all. A cube of two and a half inches under a weight of 200 tons lost one to 10 of its volume only. 
This is largely due to the fact that it represents an approximately solid body, or one destitute of considerable physical pores. Solids and liquids are very slightly compressible. Whatever degree of compressibility Katouche possibly is due principally to its minute pores. If the temperature is reduced to the freezing point of water, a piece of raw India rubber becomes rigid and stiff. On application of heat, it returns to its former pliable condition. The same return to flexibility may be brought about by stretching it mechanically. This may be rather a fallacy. Stretching India rubber warms it so that it mechanically imparted rise of temperature, we may find at least a probable cause of the softening. If the temperature is raised, several effects are produced according to the circumstances. A piece which has been stretched and held stretched has its tension increased by a degree of heat, considerably less than that of boiling water. Some offer the theory that it contains air enclosed in its pores, which, expanding, produces this effect. As the boiling point is reached, the material softens and becomes somewhat plastic, so that it can be moulded into shape to be a considerable extent stretched to threads of great fineness. Its elasticity also disappears as the heat is maintained, these effects increase in extent up to the heat of 248 degrees Fahrenheit, or 120 degrees Celsius. The return to its original state is not immediate, however. Some time is required before the reduction of temperature will have full effect. If now a still higher degree of heat is applied, 392 degrees Fahrenheit, 200 degrees Celsius, the India rubber softens to a vicious body or melts. From this state, it cannot be restored. It remains presumably burned or melted, whatever is done to it. Some attempt at hardening may be made by the use of vulcanizing chemicals, but the result will be very imperfect. A further increase of heat brings about a destructive distillation. India rubber treated in a retort to a heat exceeding 400 degrees Fahrenheit or 204 degrees Celsius evolves volatile hydrocarbons of oily consistency and it distills almost completely a small residue of gummy matter or of coke if the final heat has been pushed far enough being left. The distillate is called Cachuchin. According to Mr. Greville Williams, it consists of two polymeric hydrocarbons, one Cachuchin, boiling point 99 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius. The mixture has a strong naphtha-like odor and has won considerable reputation as being the best solvent for India rubber. How far it deserves its reputation is a matter open to discussion.
And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you're feeling drowsy and getting ready to doze off for a good night's rest. I'll be bringing you another episode of the Boy to Sleep podcast very soon. Until then, good night.